Welcome. Welcome to Conversations in Compassion, a podcast by Dignity Maine, a program of Agape, and made possible by the contributions to Agape. Thank you. This is a different podcast. Instead of interviews, we have conversations. This is my attempt to demonstrate examples of what I call compassionate conversation. Through these conversations, I hope to address the discord in our families, in our communities, and in ourselves. And finally, to focus on the greatest need of our time, the need for compassion. So, so thank you. Thank you. And I imagine you're very, very nervous. A little bit. I'm a little nervous. My first podcast. <laughs> so could you tell me, what I know about you, May, is that you have gone through a transition. And can you tell me about that? You mean transition like gender? Yeah, like gender. <laughs> <laughs> like there's lots of transitions. In life. Yes, that's true. That's true. Thank you for that. Um. Yeah, so I'm a trans woman. Uh, I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. Um, yeah, I've known I was trans since I was like six, mm. um, but didn't come out as trans until like sophomore year, junior year, somewhere around there. Um, and since then, I've just gone through the transition of hormones and living as a female, uh, previously a male. And that's been a journey for sure. <laughs> you you said that at six you could you you could feel the almost a whisper, a voice inside yourself that this isn't my gender. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about that? Because the next ten years of your life is having to live with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was six that I would tell my mom, my dad, like, um, I want to be a a female. (laughs) I want to be a female. Um, when is that happening? And they would say, no, you were born a male. Like, this is how it is. Um, so I guess, like, I just kind of shut that part off in my head. Um, that was like, this isn't okay. This isn't where you want to be for, like, yeah, the next 10 years. Shutting it off. That must have been incredibly hard. Mm. Well, I think for me, that's like what I do for everything. Mm. Like, I didn't really have emotions until I was like 20. Mm. Like, I kind of shut off all my emotions around that time, too. Um, So for me, that was just my coping skill. That was, I shut that part off and all the emotions, (laughs) everything, all the thoughts. So tell me about your adolescence, because that that just (laughs) seems like I'm shut off, I'm gone. I'm not feeling who I really am. Mm-hmm. You're trying to lean on people in your life who are caregivers and say, I, I don't feel comfortable with the gender that I was born with. I feel something very different. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to shut it all off because it doesn't feel safe. Yeah. And my home life didn't really feel safe either for me. Like, So my dad was in the military and he left... Um, and he would come home on the weekends, um, and he was an alcoholic, so he, when he was there, he wasn't really there. And my mom, being a single parent, 
Um, you know, she had so much to do, three kids. <laughs> um, so I didn't really feel like I had a lot of support growing up. Um, and being, a, trying to live as a boy in my community at school and stuff like that, it wasn't, I didn't really feel like I had any connection or any support. So I think as my coping mechanism, I just shut off. And you, and you went into isolation, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And just just trying to figure out how to survive. Yeah. Many, many years. And, and you, were, you even tried at times to be a boy. Yeah. <laughs> Join a team or be a part of something or... <laughs> I did basketball one year. <laughs> it was so bad. So our first and only, this is like third grade, so our yeah. first and only game, um, I like twisted my ankle or something and I couldn't play. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> so you'd gone through all of that to get the energy to do it and then you twisted your ankle and you just sat on the bench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is not for me. This is not for me. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can only imagine that there were so many nights where you said, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I remember, like, I would look at myself and look at my body and certain parts of my body and think, like, how could I have a family like this? Like, this is what I'm expected to do. Like, how can I live my life this way and support myself and other people around me? Right. And you could feel like, I don't, I don't know how. I don't even, you know, when I'm not able to to be who I think I really am, how do I how do I support the people around me? Mm-hmm. And at some point, you start you start actually thinking about what am I living for? Mm. <laughs> That's been a question I've had many times in my life. Yeah. Before and after transitioning, for sure. Yeah, that that how difficult it is because everything's about isolation now. Like, even though you have gone towards what you were thinking about at six, you've transitioned, you've taken the hormones, you've done all of the work. Mm-hmm. It, emotionally, it still feels unsafe in the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean... The work, like, never stops that way, you know? Like, even after transitioning, it's like everything that happened before transition is still in your body, you know? And I remember when, like, I, so when you pass, and usually pass as, like, male or female, and I pass very well as female, I think. I've heard that from many people. So, <laughs> um, not trying to toot my own heard, but um, I really have that privilege of mm. passing. Um, but at one point I didn't, and I felt very unsafe, like, everywhere. Mm. I went, mm. um, thinking, like, is someone going to hurt me? Is something going to happen? And it's just much safer to stay home when you feel that way. And stay away from people. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes lonely. And then you start wondering. You, you, you're still wondering about, well, why even be here? Mm-hmm. And, and the blessing that you just said, which is the blessing for me, has been that I... I, I passed well, and I didn't end up with, you know, a body process that basically said, well, you know, I, I do look good as a woman. Mm-hmm. 
but the, but internally it's still so painfully like who's gonna hurt me mm-hmm. yeah and I think it I think it's both like how unsafe I felt during my childhood like in my home and also the societal aspect right um, of like not feeling safe anywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was like anywhere at all mm-hmm. that was beautifully said you know just like I don't feel safe anywhere. And so it, some of it was my family and some of it was the alcoholism. Some of it was this sort of military aspect of your father and the isolation of your mom and just trying to trying to do everything she needed to do. And, and then this other part of you that felt like, I don't even feel comfortable in my body. Mm-hmm. So you try things out like in your third grade playing basketball and and sprain your ankle, and sit on <laughs> yeah. the bench, and, but but then these 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 boys are having conversations that just make you feel like you don't belong. Oh God, yeah, I tried for so long, <laughs> for so long. I was like, what are they talking about? Why are they talking about this? Yes, right. And then I would go to like what the what, what the theme was talking about. I was like, this makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Right, where you would sit with the circle of women, right, and you were a, you were a boy at the time, and, and and but you were just like, oh, this feels home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you would go back to the locker room and go, oh, this feels awful. I I don't even know what they're talking. About. <laughs> I'm like, why are they talking about it? Like, yeah, <laughs> how did we get here? And that feeling of power over that boys and men were talking about about the way to treat women. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 you, you knew inside yourself that but I, I, I'm that woman. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So where do you go from here, man? You get all this anxiety about life itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what was really special for me is when I went to high school, I went to an arts magnet high school. Mm. So um, you had to audition to get in, and there were different majors like acting, singing, dancing. Um, so I was an acting major, still a male, <laughs> when I first got in there. Um, and that was a blessing because, you know, queer people flourish in the arts community. So that was kind of a safe space for me to hang out with anyone and be whoever I wanted to be, um, gender-wise, gender expression-wise. And, yeah, my friend group, I think it was mostly women, but, like, I had, you know, I interacted with boys, too. <laughs> it was just, mm-hmm. the school was, like, 75% women, so. Right. But, and what you noticed in that was that because they were expansive, you felt safe. Mm-hmm. That you could talk about anything. And that that's a community that you feel attracted to, which is the arts, the creative healing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you're still trying to find that community. Yeah, community is a huge aspect for me, something that I've kind of gotten in touch with in the last year of my life, how much I care about community and how much I crave it. Um, and in that school specifically, um, it was like, 200 people like that's like plus the staff Mm, mm. Um, so it was very tight knit and it felt Mm. you know like we were all one big family or something Mm -hmm. it feels like a safe place 
And so that began, that's what you said was my sophomore year, is, but I began my transition. Mm-hmm. And because I was in a, soft, in a soft but also beautiful community that was going to be accepting. And so when I said it to people or told people about it, they were, they were very open to me. Mm-hmm. And they were very open to that transition. Mm-hmm. And then you left that community. And it just hasn't felt the same. I mean, I really wanted to go to a place that was queer friendly after like high school. That was like, I basically was like, what's the education? Do they have the classes? Okay, that's cool. Like, where, like, am I going to be safe here? That was my main priority. Um, so when I went to the University of Southern Maine, like, you know, they do have some things. <laughs> they have more than most colleges, I should say. Mm. Um, but, you know, protections for queer people. I mean, there was a big queer community there as well. Um, unfortunately, it didn't really mesh very well there. Um, there was just a bunch of things that happened when I was there um, that were external to me. And But, um, yeah. So you started, you made a choice to come here and go to the University uh, of Southern Maine. And you, you, you did this. I love how you did. You did your own assessment. Uh, it was a queer-friendly community. It, it, it had a lot of that community that you might felt like. And you, and you were headed towards acting and sort of the creative arts again and so on and so forth. And then these potholes, these awful things happened to you along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, freshman year. Honestly, my whole college experience at this point, because I'm still in college. <laughs> I'm 22, but I'm still going home. <laughs> It's been a ride for sure. Um, that's kind of when I started to do, um, I started to drink alcohol and smoke weed a lot. Um, and the community I was in kind of fell apart in my sophomore year of college. Um, and that really impacted me and drugs were kind of my only coping skill at that point in my life. Um, so it was quite a sad time, to be honest. It was, like, cool because I was, like, out of my home and, like, got to go to a new community, but then it just kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah, you could feel that your your foundation was that you needed a community, and if it wasn't quite there, then you started to look externally for things that would basically make you feel better. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that became alcohol, other drugs, and, and, and you got caught up in that for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, now you're sort of trying to reorient yourself again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Like when the foundation crumbled, that's what I went to. And I went to that for till my junior year. That's how my brain works. I think I'm like years of school still since <laughs> I'm still in school. Um, so it was like two years ago that I kind of stopped smoking weed because it was an everyday occurrence for me. And... You know, I don't knock anyone who smokes weed. Like, that's their choice. But for me, like, it was causing me to dissociate. Mm. Um, mm. So much so that after I stopped, like, two years ago, like, I still dissociate today, like, pretty heavily. Um, just in my daily life. <laughs> so then, honestly, after, like, I stopped smoking, then I had to deal with this whole dissociation thing because I thought I wasn't real for, like, two years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, well, you I mean, it, all of this, it, it took you out of yourself. Mm-hmm. 
and then the expansion of marijuana and cannabis and so on, it also took you out of yourself. And you, you started to, like, that, that's who I am outside of myself. And then you spent the detox period emotionally was like, I, who am I? And just trying to pull yourself back into like, who is May? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> I well, had no idea. Well, right. Your mind was totally disassociated. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and the cannabis took you out there and the alcohol took you out there. And, and even the way people started to treat you in the substance use community mm-hmm. also made you feel like, ah. mm-hmm. So for me in that, I purposefully didn't seek out that community because I knew like, and I purposefully didn't do harder drugs because I knew if I did, I wouldn't stop. You right. know, addiction is in all sides of my family. And once I latch onto something, I don't stop. So it, I knew if I did that, I wasn't going to go back. <laughs> or if I did, like, it would be such a hard battle right. for the rest of my life. Right. Um, so you staying in the alcohol and the cannabis and nicotine realm, staying in that realm was, like, that was your boundary. Yeah. And I knew that if I went down the meth or the opiates or mm-hmm. some of those things, that I would, I, I would be completely gone. And it would take years to come back from that disassociation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, if I had found something that just, like, calmed my anxiety, my inner critic, like, oh, yeah. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That would have been my lifeline. That's right. (laughs) And it would have been there all the time. Mm -hmm. And even if you didn't use it, it would be just sitting right there in your mind and going, pull, pull, oh, I can find a way out of this. Mm -hmm. So you backed off. You backed off the daily cannabis use. You've backed off the alcohol. You've tried to lean back into the college community. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? Well, I, that part of my life was just like finding safety again, honestly, because I didn't think I was real and I didn't think that like I was going to like I just had to recess my whole life mm. like at that point. Um and I was just trying to find ways to feel safe internally and externally. So I kind of like stopped socializing with everyone. And again, like isolation for like a whole year of my life. Cause I just like was trying to figure out what was going on with me. Cause at that time I didn't know I was dissociating. I was just like, I don't feel real and I don't see things correctly. And like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, so yeah, I feel like after that it was just safety and like trying to figure out what to do with my life for a couple of years. I got into spirituality. Mm, um, mm. I started to read tarot and do meditation, um, do a little bit of yoga. And I wasn't like fully into it yet, but um, I found that to be a source of comfort a bit during that time. And so if you, if you start, if, if there's a way for you out of this, it's to sort of lean into the, the spirituality, the mm-hmm. yoga, the, the, you know, the kind of outside, the spiritual realm, start to have some faith. Mm-hmm. And just really kind of begin to practice that mm-hmm. in a way, meditation, yoga practice. Mm-hmm. See if I can calm this down. Because my body was just so, like, activated. Like, even, um, like, doing deep breathing for, like, an hour, like, it just wouldn't, right. you know. 
Right, and you, you spend most of your life half-breathing because you had uh, an experience of living in a body uh, and, and a, a culture that didn't really feel right to you. And then you had your own family of origin material. And so you ended up with this feeling, and then you, I, I think, incredibly bold. You went towards the transition and doing what was true for you. And at the same time, it didn't shift anything it, emotionally. It shifted everything in terms of, I feel more real. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel more unsafe. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of a duality there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've spent my whole entire, like, senior year of high school and college career just, like, researching the queer community, learning about the history, um, learning about the mental health of LGBT people. And it's, like, they're at high risk for everything. Depression, yeah. anxiety, HIV, like, uh, you know family abuse, um, interpersonal violence, like everything. And it's like, that's kind of what I was saying was like, the transition is just one aspect. And there's like all this other stuff that just on its own really impacts you and impacts you before, during, and after you're quote unquote done transitioning. Cause that's not really a thing for <laughs> <That's> <laughs> everyone. <right. laughs> well, you, you've done transition physically, but it, it, it doesn't happen emotionally that you know, it it is something. I first I want to just say thank you for being an advocate for the queer, queer community by just saying what you just said about the vulnerability is so remarkable. And it's part of the reason I wanted to have your voice in this podcast was because it's so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. To all of those things you just said, suicide and mental illness and and I don't mean mental illness because of it it means that, that that trauma reaction that happens in the community towards the queer community is so violent mm-hmm. and you're always trying to work out am I acceptable yeah am I safe enough in this moment yeah you know? am I safe enough in this moment mm-hmm beautifully said and most of us take all that for granted we feel safe and you have to spend every moment wondering am I safe in this moment mm-hmm. yeah and I think now that I've done a lot of searching about how people navigate gender and safety I think I personally come to a point where I'm like I know I'm in Portland like I know how I dress at work and if I'm going to a certain place, how I dress and how I act versus, you know, if I'm walking through to Portland or with my friends, like how I dress and how I act, um, which are two sometimes very different things mm-hmm. for me to do. Um, but that's not how it is for a lot of people right. on this earth. Right. And, and that, that there is just beautifully telling, you know, like I have to think about how I dress how I am, and all these different settings mm-hmm. uh, in an effort to not conjure up somebody's anger and rage towards me. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing you'd like to tell whomever will listen to this, and I'm old and 
<clears throat> Most people don't listen to me anyway, so, but maybe they'll listen to us. I'm, I'm first touched by you being here and saying what you've said, but if there's something you wanted to say to this audience about what you've learned. And mm, that's a great question. I think what we were talking about before, like being yourself is, can be really vulnerable. And I think that's what the world needs right now too. Like mm. it can be unsafe and you know, if someone is not safe to come out, like please don't come out, <laughs> like safety first. Um, but I've always thought that being yourself is so powerful and fully expressing that and living that truth. Um, you know, living by example just shows other people mm. how they can live their lives and it changes. It changes mm. people, it changes institutions, it changes minds. So I think it sounds really corny. <laughs> like, I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but be yourself. Like, oh my God. <laughs> That's right. How beautiful is that, right? And and also be, be in your truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's such, you know, first I congratulate you for the courage that it took to be in your truth. And also, uh, you know, to that you're always on the search, you know, for I want a safe community. I don't want to do this alone. Mm-hmm. And so thank you. And thank you for doing this with Oh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. I'd like to give a heartfelt thanks to all the contributors to Agape Inc. for their support in making this podcast possible. If you care to join us, please go to DignityMain.com to get involved. Thank you. Thank you again for being here and take good care.